we come to this Lenten season of the year that was made so that we would prepare ourselves for the death and resurrection of Christ as we consider those Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And it takes some thought. There's a lot of things that happened. And that week before Jesus was crucified, and so we've been going through those things to help us to understand a little bit better what happened to Jesus just a few days before he was crucified. We're in chapter Luke chapter number 22, and we'll be looking into chapter 23 today. Luke's gospel has been our study, chapter 22 and 23 for our text today. A number of years ago, I experienced something that I never experienced before or since. And when I worked in Batavia, I used to get an hour for lunch. So I used to drive to a peaceful little park about a quarter mile from the plant. And there were several big trees, and I parked in the shade, and did a little reading, and enjoyed the peaceful place for the lunch hour. There was a playground, occasionally boys and girls would ride their bikes and play on the playground. And I found it a peaceful place, and I spent many a lunch hour there relaxing and reading. But one day something happened that certainly changed that peaceful atmosphere. I was relaxing and reading like I always did, and I looked up and I saw a boy and a girl, and what I assumed was their mother come walking into the park. The little girl was probably five or six years old, and I assumed it was her older brother, maybe eight or nine years old. And the two children were swinging and chasing each other and playing like children do. I only glanced up just to notice them and went back to my reading. And suddenly I heard a very loud screaming. And I looked up to see that the boy had grabbed his little sister by the hair and he was banging her head on the metal pole of the swing set. Bang, bang, bang. And she screamed out in pain. In one second's time, my whole body reacted. Immediately I pushed my car door, jumped out of the car. Uh, my heart was pounding, and I was going to rescue that little girl. And the mother, who was nearby, yelled out, and the little boy stopped banging the girl's head on the swing set. And I stopped my reaction, but I was surprised how what was probably an adrenaline rush had moved me instantaneously from a peaceful number one to a fully charged number ten with my heart pounding and my breathing hard and fast. It was the abuse of that little girl and her painful screaming that triggered in me a violent reaction. I was going to go rescue that little girl from that naughty boy, put an end to the abuse that he was giving to his sister. It was a spontaneous reaction that made me want to defend the helpless little girl, and at the same time chastise that naughty boy. With no time needed to decide, I felt those positive reaction to defend and rescue, and the negative reaction to punish and chastise. 
So I suppose it is in our human makeup to respond to any type of abuse, but especially if it's directed against the innocent and the helpless. In our text today, we will see the very dark side of human behavior and no doubt feel the injustice and respond to the abuse of the innocent. Last week we saw Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and now somewhere around 3 o'clock in the wee hours of the morning, Judas Iscariot has come, leading a band of religious leaders and temple police to arrest Jesus and take him into custody. In the fourth gospel, John tells us that as they arrived, Jesus stepped out of the shadows and asked, Who are you looking for? And they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered in two words. He said, I am. And immediately the whole crowd fell over backwards. The words I am was the name of God that was given to Moses at the burning bush when God said, tell Israel, I am sent you. And in Gethsemane, when Jesus replied, I am, the whole crowd fell over backwards. And so from that, you and I learned something. We know that Jesus went with them willingly. He was much more powerful than they were. But he chose to go with an explanation about what was happening. We begin in Luke 22, in verse number 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders, which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with thorns and staves? When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hand against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So it was Jesus explained that for a short time, that it is their hour, the power of evil would prevail. And the prince of darkness would show his violent, murderous nature in the next couple of hours. We will witness human behavior at its contemptible lowest and most twisted and evil display of full-scale rebellion against God. Now there will be three trials on that morning. Three different judges are asked to pass sentence on Jesus. One was Caiaphas, the high priest, one Herod, the king of Galilee, and one Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. But Luke will add to the record, not just the trials, but in each case, the treatment of Jesus, not by the various judges, but by the people who are servants to each court and its judge. For in each case, there is what I would call abuse of Jesus 
by inferiors. But I would say the word abuse doesn't quite cover what happens. Another word comes to mind, torture, which may be a little strong. So something between abuse and torture we see perpetrated against Jesus in this short time when, as he has explained, darkness and evil prevail. The first destination for Jesus after he was arrested was the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. The Jewish leaders would gather and do what could only be called a mock trial of Jesus. There's no attempt made for justice. Little more than a month before this, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and Caiaphas had stated publicly on that day, the only way to keep the power we have is to kill Jesus of Nazareth. And he's the judge. And so the Jewish leaders hated Jesus. Why? Because he was popular with the people. Why? Because he overthrew the money changers' tables. Why? Because he healed on the Sabbath. Why? Because he outwitted their lawyers. Why? Because he rode into Jerusalem amidst a cheering crowd. They hated him with a passion. So Luke tells us what the men did who were standing guard over Jesus. Chapter 22, verse number 63. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously they spake they against him. So here is hatred on display. They blindfold him and they slap his face they sucker punch him, and they pull out his beard, and they say, prophesy, son of God, show us your godlike powers, prophesy now, and tell us who it was that hit you. These are people who hate Jesus. Jesus had called them blind leaders of the blind. They had a blind hatred for Jesus that they got from their leader. If you ask them, why do you punch him and why do you slap him? Why do you abuse him? Their answer would be because he claims to be God. All he really is is a Galilean carpenter. He comes from a worthless town called Nazareth. He's an uneducated peasant. He never sat under any rabbi. So we hate him. Now, let's stop for a minute and examine that logic. Okay. So you think he's not the Son of God. Maybe he's just deluded. A person with some crazy idea. Maybe he's unstable. Maybe he's a lunatic. And maybe he's to be pitied.
pitied because of that. No. No pity from us. No, we hate him. So let's go a step further in the logic. Okay. Maybe you think he's a fraud. Maybe he's trying to deceive. Maybe he's a liar. If he's a liar, why don't you just ignore him? Don't give credence to his claims. Why do you hate him with such a passion? My friends, why do people hate Jesus? And why do these men slap and punch and beat on him because he claims to be the Son of God? The question is, what if he really is? Son of God. If he really is God's son, then they're wrong, and they're going to have to admit they are wrong. Jesus exactly explains their predicament in his answer in verse number 67. And they said unto him, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Jesus says, if I explain who I am, you refuse to believe me. So let me ask you some questions. Let's think about this logically. No, you refuse to answer my question. Your blind hatred refuses to answer the simplest questions why do men hate Jesus? Because somewhere down deep inside, buried under their hatred, is a fear. If Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God, and I'm wrong, and I'm in serious trouble. So I hate him because he challenges my beliefs. And so they beat him and they slap him and they punch him and they abuse him and rebel against his claims. And that's the first type of human behavior we observe in that early morning trial. Next, the Jews must take Jesus to Pilate. The Romans took away the Jews' right to capital punishment only Pilate, the Roman governor, can have Jesus put to death. And so they go to Pilate and they ask for the death penalty. And Pilate asks, what's the charge? And they say, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him. Pilate says, no charge, no death penalty. So they say, well, he claims to be a king and he preached that all over Galilee. Pilate, trying to avoid the issue, says if he's Galilean, send him to Herod, the king of Galilee, who happens to be in town for Passover. You see, my friends, watch what happens now, chapter 23, and verse number 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. The chief priests and scribes stood 
vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Pilate had asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yes. So he sends Jesus to Herod's court to be tried there with the information he claims to be king of the Jews. But Jesus refuses even to speak to Herod. So Herod and his soldiers put a white robe on Jesus, very fancy and very bright. It's the robe that candidates for office will wear. And they mock Jesus and they belittle him. Look, look who's running for office. Look who wants to be king. And they make fun of Jesus. And they give him a reed in his hand. Say, there's your royal scepter. Can you imagine, they say, that this man could ever be the king of the Jews? Who was Herod? Well, Herod was a man who stole his brother's wife because he liked to do whatever he felt like doing. And when John the Baptist accused Herod of adultery, he threw John the Baptist in prison. And we read a little while later, a girl danced a fancy dance for Herod. And he said, I love your dance. How can I pay you for dancing so nicely? And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Herod murdered John the Baptist for a dance. This is a trivial man. A man who has no morals, he does what feels good, whatever he feels like, steals his brother's wife, murders John the Baptist for a dance, and now he mocks Jesus and makes fun of him and scorns the whole idea that Jesus could ever be a king. I'm a king, he says, but you never. You're just a candidate for office. Here's an example of how people who never take anything seriously, God is not to be taken seriously. A stolen wife and a fancy dance are more important than God to the trivial person who doesn't take God seriously. Jesus has nothing to say. So we've seen people who hate Jesus. We've seen people who don't take Jesus seriously. Now another type of person, person entirely dominated by other people's opinions. Chapter 23, verse number 16. I'm sorry, verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. Nor, no, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. Lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. In verse 21, And they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? 
I find no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Now my question for Pilate is this. If he's innocent, if you find no fault in Jesus, then why do you chastise him? Why do you tie him to a post and whip him with a cat of nine tails, which is a leather strap with nails attached to the ends? If he's innocent, why do you whip him? Pilate is entirely controlled by the opinions of others. Caesar Tiberius sent Pontius Pilate to be the governor over the Jewish people with orders to maintain control and keep the peace. And so the unruly Jewish people are hard to control. Pilate will use violence if necessary to keep the peace. Pilate had some troublemakers murdered right in the temple and mixed their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. He kept the peace for Caesar, even if it meant murder. And these unruly Jews are here to demand that Jesus be crucified, and Pilate says, he's innocent, but I'll whip him in order to appease the Jews. But the Jews won't be appeased by a whipping. Verse 23. They were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. When the Jews started screaming out, crucify him, crucify him, it looked like it would turn into a riot. So Pilate thought, give them what they want. Just another dead Jew. So Pilate turns Jesus over to the Roman soldiers and they tie him to a post, and they whip him. Now, my friends, let's look at him. His eyes are swollen from the slaps that he received. His face is all bruised from being punched. His beard has been pulled out, torn out, and bloody. And his back, from the cat of nine tails, is hanging in strips of flesh, all covered in blood. He has been so abused and tortured that the Bible says you could barely recognize him. So, let me put it to you this way. What if that was you? What would you be feeling as your face is all disfigured and your body throbs in pain from the vicious whip? And they've laughed at you and mocked you and scorned you and abused you and, yes, and tortured you. How would you feel? Angry? Bitter? Full of revenge? Have the feelings of injustice triggered in your mind? And you want to see that punishment is given and justice is served? 
Isn't that what you or I might feel? My friends, in the pain and the shame of those hours of abuse, in the mocking scorn, in the vicious torture poured out in hatred on Jesus, how does he feel? Is he bitter? Is he angry? Does he want to punish these evil men? Oh no, my friends. He looks out from his swollen eyes and his bruised face and he feels the throbbing pain of the whipping. And his heart can only love. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. His heart can only love. No feeling of revenge. No adrenaline rush for justice. His heart can only love. And Jesus Himself would explain it for God so loved the world. And He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. To those who hated him, he pleads, believe what I say, or at least answer my question. The old song, the old ancient song, has it very well. Ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou offended that man to judge thee hath and hate pretended by foes derided by thine own rejected O most afflicted the Bible explains that those who blindfolded him and beat him their behavior with these words they hated me without a cause and what of Herod and his soldiers people who simply don't take Jesus claims seriously Jesus remains silent and won't answer what is more serious than God himself what topic has more gravity than life and death heaven and hell, forgiveness and judgment. Believe me, my friends, there comes a day when those who have made life trivial will come face to face with death and suddenly realize just how important these things are. My friends, the abuse of Jesus during what was supposed to be trials shows that no one ever intended there to be any justice. Jesus was right. It was the hour of darkness and the power of evil when humans put God on trial and human behavior sunk as low as it could go. And so hatred and scorn, they declared that He was guilty of death, death on the cross. 
And listen to one of the last exchanges between Pilate and the Jewish leaders. And they cried, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he them therefore to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. We have no king but Caesar. Chilling last word. May it not be so with us. Let us declare loudly and with assurance, Jesus is our King, Jesus is our Lord, Jesus is our Master, and we love Him because He first loved us. And He looked out on that face and His heart could only love. And He looked at us and loved us. Next week, Jesus is crucified. Shall we pray, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you, we grasp what you've said and we believe it. We know that we need to listen to what you say and answer your question. We want to do that. We want to know all about you. We want to know who you are. We want to know you're real. We want to claim you as our one and only Lord and Master. We bow before you as you come to this time and you suffer for us on our behalf. And we thank you that there wasn't any revenge. might have been bad for us. But it was only love. We thank you for that. And we bow before you. And we know that the question will always come, what will you do with Jesus? Help us, we pray. To answer it well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. In closing, like you turn your hymn books, if you will. Hymn number 566. 566, standing as we sing. The old hymn, What Will You Do With Jesus? 566. Page 566.
that your spirit would touch our hearts, help us to know and to see the abuse that you took for us. And though so many hated you, turned their hearts against you, you only loved them back. And we know we have often done the things we ought not to do. But we know if we come to you this very moment and ask forgiveness, we will have pardon, full and free. We will be with you in eternity. We only need to ask. We are thankful for that opportunity, and we pray that this day we will not try to evade you or get away in our hearts or our souls or ignore you in any way, but that we would come and talk to you this day. For you have loved us, given us this chance, and we pray that we would take it on this day, work in the hearts of each and every one of us this day, open our hearts, may we be obedient to you, we pray. We ask for protection and care, and all these people, bring them back to this place, and may our hearts be full of you this week, ready to be filled again as we come back. We pray for all these things in your name.